The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. There is a certain confusion that especially in the English-speaking world, can root itself in our hearts and our minds with regard to this particular feast day and those it is whom we celebrate. Because fairly unique to English is this use of the word saint. And now you're looking at me. Father, aren't there saints in other languages? And the answer is yes, sort of. Literally, however, in other languages, when we would say something like St. Luke or St. Mary, literally what that means is Holy Luke and Holy Mary. We, however, have this curious distinction between the word holy and the title saint that we apply to certain individuals. But the root is the same. And that's vitally important. What we are celebrating then are the holy ones of God. Saint is not merely an honorific. It is a description of the quality of a person, one who is designated as holy. And this is vitally important for us to recognize because this is not merely then the celebration of somebody else and what somebody else, however many somebody else's we're thinking of, have done or been. It is a celebration of the very essence of Christian life and what it is to belong to the body of Christ. In fact, in writing to the Christians of the various churches, St. Paul regularly would address himself 
to the Haggioi, the holy ones, the saints of that church. And he wasn't thinking of just a couple people who were rare exceptions. He was thinking of all of them. This is why the church speaks of a universal, note, allowing no exceptions, call to holiness. Or, using our odd distinction in English then, a universal call to sainthood. Today feels a little different when we put it that way, doesn't it? When we frame it that way. Because it's easy to think, however joyfully, of holiness, of sainthood as being for somebody else. And yet the simple fact of the matter is, by virtue of holy baptism, the life of Jesus, the Holy One of God, is within you. In calling you, in claiming you, in gifting you with his life, there is an intrinsic aspect of holiness about you and about me, however difficult it may be to believe that. And then when we recognize this, this curious element in our readings of the double invocation of crowds, becomes clearer. First, in our reading from the book of Revelation, there are two great crowds that we see. One crowd, very vast, but you can put a number to it. 144,000, we hear, of the servants of God. But we recognize very quickly that this is not a limit. This is not an absolute limit. Total, because after seeing this great number, the Apostle John is given to see an even greater number, a vast number beyond all ability to count. Think about that for a moment. Vast beyond all counting. And all of a sudden, this idea that Holiness is for somebody else. Doesn't sound so correct. Vast beyond all counting are those who survive the time of trial, are those who bear the white garment and the palm of victory in their hand. And in speaking this way, Scripture is telling us not merely that salvation is not simply for a select few. However much we like the language of the holy remnant and the privileged few in our thinking, what the apostle sees is anything more than a privileged few. It is a number vast and great beyond all count. An assembly of the holy, which is so great, no earthly number can be applied to it. What a remarkable statement that is. But note it is an assembly of the victoriously holy, not an assembly of the gloriously mediocre. And this is important too. What is celebrated 
this great cry of witness and praise which shakes heaven itself as they turn to the throne. And imagine that. Imagine the loudest sound you have ever heard. And then imagine a number, a joyful, victorious number of people beyond any ability to put a number to it. And imagine what it would sound like, the incredible thunder, if they all lifted their voices and shouted the same thing at the same time. This is the experience of that first reading. As the apostle is given a glimpse into the heavenly realm, the realm of glory, and this is not angels crying out, these are men and women like him who have emerged victorious from the struggle of life, clothed in the gleaming white garment of heavenly light and life. Holding the palm of victory in their hand, they stand and they lift their voices together in one act of joy-filled testimony. And this, too, is important. So think about this for a moment. Because if a guy was to ask you, and he just might, in one sentence, what is the great witness of all the saints? An interesting statement that is, isn't it? If you're going to pick one thing to which the holy ones of God witness to, unanimously, as if, in all of their diverse forms of holiness, they all spoke at the same time with, and said one thing, what would it be? And notice that we have the answer to that question in the reading. Salvation comes from our God and from the Lamb. And in that simple statement, the very essence of the witness and the character and the holiness of the saints is placed before us. It is not merely that they believe that. It is not merely that they heard that, said, yes, that sounds right, I agree with that. It is that that reality penetrated every aspect of their living. Salvation comes from God and no place else but it comes to us through the Lamb who laid down his life for us. And that reality living in their hearts becomes the great cry of their witness. However many or few their earthly words were, however public or hidden their earthly deeds were, everything was testimony to the fact that salvation comes from and note the statement, our God, not somebody else's God. Our God. Not some generic sense of divinity. Our God, the one whom we know. The one who has made himself known to us. Our God. I will have no other God, it says, than the one who saves. And the one who saves, the only one who saves, is that one who extends salvation 
through the self-giving of the Lamb. And now note, numerous beyond all counting, those who found their lives on the victory of the Lamb, those who live their lives in the strength of that victory. And what the apostle sees is that the Lamb's victory is their victory. And there is joy within them for the victory of the Lamb, and there is joy within them that they together share it. What an absolutely exquisitely powerful experience this must have been. For the lonely apostle, in his isolation on the island of Patmos, where he is an exile, by himself in his loneliness, realizing that he is far from alone. There is this great cloud of witnesses, present now and increasing into the future, whose lives are founded upon the Savior, whose mission he has been given to announce, and whose fellowship then is also with them. Which is why scripture is at pains to remind us that our, meaning yours and mine, our fellowship is with the lot of the saints in light. And so note, we cannot celebrate the saints in their glory without then also celebrating and reflecting and considering who we are, who we are called to be, and where we are destined to go. If we as well found our lives on that glorious certainty, salvation comes from our God and from the Lamb. This is why then we have our third crowd in our gospel reading today. And note how it begins. When Jesus saw the crowd. So there is John the Apostle seeing the glorious crowd, and now there is Jesus seeing the common crowd, us. And when Jesus sees that crowd, that great number who have come to hear him, perhaps out of curiosity, perhaps out of wonderment, perhaps out of a real desire for holiness, but whatever reason they are there, he sits, meaning he lingers, and sitting in their presence on the mountain, he speaks directly to them. And unlike Moses, who climbed a mountain, received a law that wasn't his own, and brought it down to give to a people that gathered at the foot of the mountain. Here the crowd comes, and the Lord sits on the mountain, and he gives them a new law, a new way, which is his. Not a received or a borrowed possession, but his. Moses received the law in thunder and cloud majesty. And the people were frightened. But the Lord here has no need for thunder and cloud and majesty in an outward and visible way. 
because he would rather root the cloud and the thunder and the majesty in the hearts of those to whom he is speaking. And he does so in a surprisingly beautiful way. Note how he speaks these mysterious beatitudes he pronounces, because there's something curious about them. He begins by speaking, it seems at first, in a safe but lovely generality. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we pause and we say, yeah, that's good. I wonder who they are. And blessed are the meek. Yeah, meek is a good thing to be. Blessed are the peacemakers. And note how it sounds like he's speaking in general. Somebody out there is making peace. Somebody out there is meek. I'm sure there's somebody who's poor in spirit, and let me tell you about that guy. Blessed are they who mourn. And as we're listening to this, we're puzzled at first because these are not the things the world around us celebrates. They're, these are not the things that a certain false religiosity celebrates. He's not saying, blessed are those who are anointed. He's not saying, blessed are the miracle workers. He's not saying, blessed are the great preachers. Unfortunately for me, he doesn't say, blessed are the long-winded. <laughs> he goes through this list of very different things and says, within these realities, overlooked by the world, uncelebrated, by so many, blessedness, meaning everlasting happiness, is found. What a remarkable statement. That's not a, when we use the throwaway line, oh, God bless you, or have a blessed day, we often say it for trivial things. And it's not that it's bad to say it that way, but the word blessed in Scripture means something much more substantial than that. It's not a mere good wish. It's not a mere desire for a trivial goodness to settle upon you. It speaks of an everlasting reality. This is why one of the steps on the way to canonization is to be declared blessed. Hear that as Jesus speaks. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the makers of peace. Blessed are the pure of heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of holiness. And then he says, and when you, isn't it interesting, you know, know what Jesus does. He gets us all excited about these other people that we might become someday, maybe. But right as we're resting in that, thinking, okay, but at least I'm off the hook for now, he turns it around and he says, and when they persecute you, oh, you should be so happy. When the struggle to maintain goodness comes to you, blessed are you. So know what he's saying to the crowd. This is not for somebody else. This is for you. 
This is not for some other people, in some other time, in some other place, in some other moment of history. You're not off the hook on this. This is for you. And why? Because blessedness is for you. This is what we celebrate today. We celebrate our brothers and sisters who now are already victorious. We celebrate those whose names we know and those whose names we don't. We celebrate the open and public and manifest holiness of so many. And we celebrate equally joyfully the quiet and unknown holiness of equally many or perhaps many more. We celebrate those who are famous and those who are not. Because what our eyes fail to see and our hearts fail to appreciate, the Lord never fails to see. And the Lord never fails to appreciate. And we celebrate today the joy in the heart of Jesus Christ at that great number who took him at his word and lived toward blessedness. And his joy in receiving them into that beatitude he pronounced on that mountain that day. And in doing so, we celebrate something else. We celebrate the fact that our brothers and sisters now bearing the palms of victory before the throne of glory long for you and for me to be with them. Even as we celebrate them, they celebrate and rejoice in the fact that you are called to be with them. And they long for you to lift your voice as one of that number beyond counting in that glorious song of heavenly testimony. Salvation comes from our God and from the Lamb. How absolutely and exquisitely wonderful. So on this day, in no small measure, we who struggle on this earth should feel that there is a blessedness about the struggling, a goodness about the struggling, that it is not directionless, that it is not pointless, but that it is directed to eternity itself. Because our fellowship, too, is not merely in struggle here with one another, but with the lot of the saints in light. This is what it is to call the church the body of Christ. Today we celebrate the glorious part of the body, but we do so that in the light of that glory, we who are present in the struggling part of the body might be renewed, strengthened, and reanimated. We rejoice in their victory, and then we ask their help that we might share it too. And what a great thing that is. And in just a few minutes, remember this. They stand before the throne of the Lord in heaven and before the Lamb. And they sing their praise. And in just a few moments, that same Lamb is going to be on this altar. 
And as we gather here in this place, though our eyes do not see it, we too are in the presence of the throne of grace and in the presence of the Lamb through whom salvation comes. And note how wonderful it is. Even as the saints sing their hymn of joy, you will come forward down these aisles. And you will stretch out your hand, not for a mere palm of victory, but to the Lamb himself. When you hear those words, the body of Christ, and you say your amen, hear within your hearts that thunder in heaven. Not the thunder of the songs of angels, but the thunder of the praises of men and women who began just like you and me. Salvation comes from our God and from the Lamb who is placed in my hand. And what a wonderful moment of communion that will be. Amen.